The Dan is steely. That feeling when? That feel when there's not enough bread on your charcuterie plate. <laughs> that is a classic feel. That is a classic feel. Um, all right. It's going to get a little hot in here. A little sweaty. But can you hit that, uh, AC? Listen, we're going to be doing a whole thing about a guy who just complains a lot. <laughs> so we should get in that mindset of God, just being gross. real agitable. Just get over it. Right. You know, just on a, on a tour where he's like, oh, God, I just want to go back to my fancy hotel. Oh, it's time to embrace some of that uh, pretzel logic and get, get hot to get cool here. In- pretzel logic? That is the name of a Steely Dan album. Oh. Uh, all right. Everybody ready? Hi, and welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. And I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing composer, pianist, vocalist, melodicaist, melodicist? Melodica. Melodica. Personnel. And overall crank, it's Donald Fagan, co-leader and only surviving member of Steely Dan. Today we'll be hearing all about his later life touring memoir and deep content for anyone born after the year 1960 through his book, Eminent Hipsters. But first, let's introduce our own host. Today, presenting <laughs> the Fagan story to us in a shocking 55-episode-in concept flip. Reverse. Uh, a reversal. And intro. Yes, intro and. Oh. Uh, presenting the story of Donald Fagan to us, it is returning guest. After uh, 44 episodes. After 44 episodes, a returning guest. Uh, you might remember him as the creator of the world's First, first blog. Music blog. First no, blog. first blog. I did that. Yes. It's the first blogger. The first blog. Here in uh, our office. One of, one of the early members on the front lines of blogo fascism. Uh, <laughs> I didn't do that. You didn't do the, <laughs> the blogo fascism? We didn't start it was, the It fire. was just music blog. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't uh, anybody writing the it's pieces. It's like, you're all like, going to like LCD sound system or... <laughs> Uh, there wasn't um, yeah. Chris Gow wasn't writing in the pages of the Village Voice or whatever about how the mu- the music bloggers are all being very mean to him and this is going to cause a liberalism in the in the uh, music world. I think he kind of did in his own cryptic way. Yes. Uh, anyway, it's Matthew Perpetua. Hi. Hello. And so, as I alluded to, uh, Molly did not prepare a story today. No. Neither did I. No. Uh, we are going in blind on this one because Matthew asked to come back. After reading this and saying that you thought that we needed to hear this story? Right. And it just didn't. I wanted to give Molly a break. Thank you. (laughs) Honestly, thank you. (laughs) This has been great. (laughs) And I think Molly should get a chance to react. Yeah. For once. Uh, Yeah. It feels good. I keep threatening to do the Norwegian black metal. Yeah. uh, Reverse reverse one. Maybe for this year's Halloween. Oh, I see. (laughs) Yes. Spooky. So. Uh, to do the thing Chris usually does. Is what is your <laughs> level of familiarity with Steely Dan going into this episode? Extremely low. This is a big Same. musical blind spot for me. Same. Uh, I I know shockingly few ones. There are, there are a band that even to this day when I hear songs, I'm like, oh that, and somebody like labels it as like or mentions like Steely Dan. I'm like, oh that's a Steely Dan song. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of hits. A lot of songs are just kind of out in the world. Yes. They're kind of a textural music to the entire pop landscape. Uh, I probably embarrassingly get them and Fleetwood Mac mixed up a lot. 
Ooh, that's that a, makes sense because yeah. it's, it's that seventies uh, like really dry sound. Yeah, and they're, they're, they both have the same manager, Irving Azoff. They also like, come up in this. They also have the same uh, um, syllabic rhythm: Steely Dan, Fleetwood Mac. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, and uh, I know that Steely Dan is the name is named after a, a dildo in uh, Naked Lunch. It's a dildo, yeah, yeah. Wow, a dil a dildo. A dildo. Um, yeah, I don't know anything about Steely Dan. My dad listens to listens to Steely Dan. Every dad listens. So to Steely sometimes Dan. I would see like you know, remember CDs, guys? Yes. <laughs> he had like a pile, the in rotation CDs, and sometimes Steely Dan would be in rotation. That being said, if you put a gun to my head right now and said sing a Steely Dan song, I would I would probably go like. How does that is that is that a song? But if you heard Steely Dan and they're just like, oh, that's Steely Dan, you'd be like, oh yeah, it's Steely, Dan. Steely Dan. My dad likes Steely the, Dan. The thing, My dad likes him. The thing is them. that I I couldn't actually sing sing, but the thing that I would associate with them is that like phasing Wolitzer organ sound, like the the words goes like wow wow. Yeah, you you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to sing. It's impossible to sing that tone, but it's a very like late '70s, like phasing wah organ. It's more of a feeling than a sound. I I I think the CD that I saw most often was a compilation, which was the very best of Steely Dan, "Reelin' in the Years." Mm -hmm. Oh, "Reelin' in the Years" is a Steely Dan song. Okay, that's that's one of their biggest hits. Yeah. Are you reeling in the years? Oh, see, I know that. And I know why. I think that it would make sense to actually mistake that for Fleetwood Mac. That's like a certain Mackiness to it. So, but there's kind of two major differences there is that Steely Dan has a lot of jazz, a lot of jazz going on. Oh, Mac has no jazz going on. Mm. There's also the only female singers who are in Steely Dan are backup singers. Mm. Oh, okay. Fleetwood Mac's got Stevie Nicks and Christine McVie. Oh, so it's, yes, it's yes, yes. justice two to for one. Christine. No, I'm yeah. just oh, no, for for real. But she's, yeah, she's Stevie very underrated the, now. Stevie gets all the attention for just being like she, a witch because all women want to be witches right yeah, now because it's yeah. too depressing of, like, to scarves. be a regular yeah. woman. <laughs> Christine McVie's just more of like a horny preppy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which honestly, a more sustainable personality yeah. type ultimately. Maybe an aesthetic that needs to make a combat comeback. Yeah, it's yeah. a very '90s aesthetic, actually. Yeah, less cocaine. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, we're coming in very, <laughs> very cold and floppy to Steely Dan. Oh, I also feel like I know that him and Walter Becker are all, have been mad at each other for like thirty straight years until Walter Becker. No, they had a good relationship. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, I, then maybe yeah. I'm also thinking about Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> but, but, but no, I, I, you're, you're, you have it kind of maybe halfway right because they were together from about the early '70s up through about 1980, when the last primary Steely Dan ever came out. And then they just stopped working together for about twenty years, mm. and then they got back on the. They, yeah, then they reconnected. They made uh, two albums that I don't care about in the, in the, <laughs> in the aughts. Uh, one of them won Grammy of the Year. There, people were very mad about that because you know, album was, album of the year. Yeah, because I can't remember so what it's it, the I most mad category. Yeah, I the, can't remember what it beat, but it was one of those upset things where it's like this could have been something relevant, yeah. it was, like Nevermind or something. Yeah, no, it's it's two thousand. Oh, oh it's later. Okay. Uh, so it it's like, uh, like the Kid Jay-Z A and Eminem. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, that is like a, a, 
a it's, like, it's like Beck and Beyonce. Yeah. That's such a completely uh, unsurprising Grammys move to be like, oh, Steely Dan's back for the first time in a decade. Let's ignore right. everything. And, yeah. and it makes sense because Steely Dan, all the people who would be in the voting body are not just people who are old and they're like, oh, I love Steely Dan. But Steely Dan is also like a super, like if you're a music person, like if you're a musician, this is like, that's like the, the gold standard because one of the things, I, we're actually not going to get into this, so I should just say it now, is... Uh, Steely Dan have this reputation for using all these session players because mm. they, you know, they start off as a regular band but then become just the duo of the, the two composers. Okay, um, they were like ruthless with uh, session players. There's uh, some things on. There's a video on YouTube that was in a documentary. I think maybe VH1 made that kind of gets into that where it's just like just getting the guitar solo on peg right, just going through like. 20 of the best session guitar players in all of Los Angeles. Oh my God. You know, they're, they're those guys. Yeah. Um, so, but that, you know, it's a level of respect that they would have. Would you say they care about things like tone mm-hmm. and everything, uh, anything musical? Pitch and well, certainly rhythm. Pitch. P- I mean, pitch is harmony. Well, you yeah. know, we're just coming off of yep. Sun Ra. Pitch being important is like kind of debatable. Oh, yeah. This is you, kind of like the other side of jazz. Yeah. 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 This is like, you know, the, the Steely Dan borders on <laughs> this fusion. Is, this is the whip. This is whiplash jazz. Yes. Are you yeah, rushing kind or dragging, of. motherfucker? Yeah. Where Steely, Dan, Steely Dan's like, you were off by a 0.2 semitones. Uh, Sun Ra is like, you weren't quite uh, chartreuse enough on that note. Yeah, you, I told you to play a tree, but I meant like a deciduous tree, and you're playing a coniferous tree. So get the fuck out of my rehearsal yeah. studio. And take your part with you. I mean, the best drummer I've ever seen is the, cur- is the current live drummer for Steely Dan. Because sure. they it's found... Just- him quantitatively. Yeah, this guy's named uh, is Keith Carlock, and he is great, just like oh, great session drummer name. Mm. Yeah, and he's just like monumental. He can just do anything. He hits hard. He hits precise. It's just yeah. Um, so yeah, my background with Steely Dan is for the longest time I did not care about Steely Dan. I did not listen to Steely Dan. The you know I came up all of my uh, influences. The people who basically gave me music were all Gen X people, mm. and the Gen X people all hate Steely Dan. Yeah. What does Steely Dan represent to, to them? Stress? No, it's just like fussy. Oh, well, it's fussy. It's, you know, it's like light. It's, you know, a little um, mm, easy. Yeah. It's just like, you know, it's like it borders on yacht rock, ah. you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, it's just like the it's least not, 90s thing possible. It's very really. studio and produced and music. It's not industry. hard or yeah. exciting. Or, or DIY. Yeah. Or, yeah. 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 It, it's the furthest thing from that. Like These are like super expensive records made by experts. Yeah. Mm. You know, th- these people all told me, oh, you don't want that. It's garbage <laughs> music. That's music for lame people. And then, you know, eventually, I can't remember how or why, but, you know, I came to it and then like kind of gradually got really into it. Um and now I, you know, I generally am like very pro Gen X. You know, these are, you know, essentially my, you know, the people who Your raised people. me aside yes. from my actual family. <laughs> um, but, well, you know, Gen X is really the fa- families of the people you choose. Or is that, is Fast and the Furious Gen X or Millennial? Oh, they're Gen X. They're Gen X. Yeah, they're all like in their late 40s, yeah, early so 50s. Yeah, that, so that's Wait, a, that's a cho- choosing your family is technically a Gen X principle. Uh, Matthew, would you call as a, w- w- our senior Gen X correspondent? <laughs> I'm not Gen X. I'm, I'm you're an old to say, but I, I know a lot about but them. But yeah. ge- you are still our senior Gen X correspondent. Would you call The Rock a Gen X superstar? I don't think he, a Gen I don't X know icon? if he represents anything about Gen X, but he is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was 
wrestle a big wrestling dude in the nineties. That's like he was kind of, of a, he was kind of an alternative wrestler. Sort yeah, of. yeah, he kind of came in. He was kind of yeah. As much as I know about he, that, he's certainly <laughs> one of the most probably the most or like biggest representative of his age, American like celebrity American of his age. He, he's one of the biggest Gen X celebrities. Yeah, right. Is that <laughs> sure. a fair thing to say? I don't know. I mean, in the fact that he is extraordinarily famous and is definitely a Gen X person age-wise. Yeah. 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 And still relevant, still be, uh, still reaching new levels of his I fame. mean, you could say the same thing about Gwyneth Paltrow. That's mm. that's also true. Yeah. Winona Ryder and The Rock are both 47 years old. Ooh, they should do a movie together. Oh, God, yeah. they really should. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it would be about, but I would like to find out. Yeah. Yeah. The more movies should have zero press and they just say, here's two people in them. Is and it a you rom-com? just go, well, that's the thing. You you don't know. <laughs> like You're like, I'm going to go see. Keanu Reeves movie. Or like, watch. remember Passengers with um, Jennifer Lawrence yes. and one Chris? Yes. Uh, Pratt. The shitty, the new, the newly shitty Chris, although maybe he always sucked. Pratt? And the, yeah. yeah. Okay. And the posters were just two big heads, yes. big dumb heads. <laughs> And like you, and maybe that you saw like an outline like of a of sun a or a clip. Yeah. Wait, aren't, or aren't they on a spaceship? Yeah, they're on and a spaceship, like, and they like were creepy. Yes. Yeah, and they were gonna, they were supposed to shoot themselves in the future, but they woke up too soon. Yes. But then, yeah, blah blah. But that movie could have easily just been marketed as like, here's Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence in a movie. Don't you, you don't know? See them don't do you want to see together? them in a movie together? There should be more mystery box movies like, yes they, they might kiss they yeah might kiss. they might they kiss might or they might fight yeah. <laughs> kiss and fight they might do both they probably do in that movie yeah knowing the, the premise of it yeah i want to watch the rock kiss and fight uh, <laughs> winona rider winona rider as a as a villain like Charlize theron in the last fast and furious movies. oh that'd be incredible uh in the- one of the rock movies that then has like a tortured uh, in one of the fast and furious oh my god i just really gave away the game with those movies by calling them a the the rock movies Mm. Uh, sorry, Vin. I still love you, <laughs> but having her as like an uh, ooh, a hot and cold villain, yeah, she interest. she projects a lot of like Anxi- twitchy anxiety. Insecurity, yeah. anxiety. She's basically like a shambling mom on yeah. Stranger Things. Yeah. Is she still on Stranger Things? Yeah, I gave up on that show. But uh, imagine if she she weapon weaponized that into like a very uh, um, affected, yeah, affected uh, villainous. I yeah, that yeah, would. that'd be great. Anyway, this podcast is not about movies. Yeah, and it's also not <laughs> what? about. It's also today very much not about Gen X people. This is a, a strictly. This is a super boomer zone we're entering. Mm, yes, boomer is, energy and the older end of boomers. Ooh. so this is like you know being like a kid in the fifties. Yes. Okay. Great. Did he play with zip guns? I don't think it comes up. <laughs> okay. So okay. Let's let's get into the book. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I'm gonna, you know, as much as I can, like, give you his actual words because they're better than a summary would Great. be. Great. Great. Um. So, kind of getting through the intro, or just kind of getting through like what the book is. Yes. It is, as Molly can attest, a very slim volume. She she's <laughs> it not. It is thick. the bare minimum <laughs> the book could be, and sold as a book. Before as opposed became, like, to a novella or a pamphlet. Yeah. <laughs> That's almost novella status, actually. Yeah. It came out on Penguin. Okay. Oh, wow. Classics. And it's funny because like I also have the, the Morrissey memoir, which is also on Penguin. But it's like but is 17 times yeah. the size of this book. <laughs> but has roughly the same amount of complaining. <laughs> um so yeah, that's that's that. So uh Donald explains in the intro. Uh, that he's gonna yada yada his backstory okay, a lot. Sure. Okay. Uh, he 
you know, originally thought he was going to be a journalist <laughs> so may, or uh, maybe an English teacher. So make sure that you've seen uh, Donald Fagan Origins and uh, Don, <laughs> Donald Fagan Children. <laughs> Donald Fagan Kids. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so he, you know, originally thought he might be a writer. And a lot of the things uh, that he wrote that are in this book are things that he wrote uh, kind of when Steely Dan was through and he wrote a lot of them for like uh, music and film magazines. Okay. Just as a straight up critic. Yeah. And he kind of says that, uh, you know, the, the the book people, the publisher was kind of like trying to be like, oh, maybe uh, specifically the book's editor, Paul Slovak, thought uh, it might be a good idea for it to be sort of a art biography. <laughs> <laughs> And like how the stuff he'd read and heard growing up affected and stretched and skewed and mangled his little brain. That's a quote. Okay. Sure, sure. Um, but then a solid third of the book is a tour diary from sure. 2012 uh, that okay. the, pub- the, the editor also suggested because uh, I think he was like, you know, this has to be a book. <laughs> you know, we need we, there's a a minimum word count that, that could qualify as a book. And Is like, there like a federal minimum for like labeling your book an actual book? Like I don't a know. Department of but, Bibliographic. But, but, you know, but, but to, to sell it for, I mean, this book costs sixteen dollars. This is in paperback. Wow, <laughs> Jesus! Um, thank you. Salute Kel to doing scam. the good service for uh, buying. That's like book. practically a Kindle single. Did you say a scam? Yeah. Oh, one of the Celia Dan records is called The Royal Scam. Wow. So this is the Penguin Scam. Scammer is still hot. Still happening. Uh, So from the intro, he kind of gives a little bit, a little bit of background in addition to saying that, you know, he, you know, considered being a writer, uh, but, you know, he started playing piano on a trio and in high school. And he's like, by jazz standards, was strictly an amateur. It's like, you're a kid. You're a kid. You're allowed to be an amateur. Yeah. 13 but then he's like oh it was the summer of 65 and my friend pete gave me that psychedelic sugar cube (laughs) after the universe stopped squirming around and the colors dimmed down a bit i was left with a new sense of possibility uh when i started college that fall at bard oh uh, Bard we'll we'll, we'll get into bard okay Uh, i noticed that the guys who played even worse than i did were all in bands and seemed to be having major fun By so, th- so already just like rampant condescension to other musicians around mm-hmm. him. Uh, <laughs> the first thing I noticed upon getting to college is all of my peers suck shit and I ruled. <laughs> and like, but but they were being rewarded for it. So I was like, fine, I can do that. Can't fine. let this go. Yeah. Uh, by the time I hooked up with my partner, Walter Becker, a couple years later, I'd pretty much given up the literary career. <laughs> As you do. You know, and he's yeah. like, in the mid 80s, in the midst of a severe episode of Creator Torpor, Creative torpor. Yeah. Uh, I was invited to write about film for, uh, music for Premiere Magazine. Ooh, okay. Classy. Have you have either of you ever descri- felt something that you would describe sincerely and not feel like a giant blowhard as torpor? I mean, every day around <laughs> three p.m. I call it droop hour. Wow, maybe you should start calling it torpor. Yeah. Excuse uh, me, I'm having a a about fit about of torpor and I can't answer answer emails, emails until. <laughs> I've had a second or third espresso. So he apologizes uh, early on in the book. I apologize up front. I tried to grow up honest. Didn't quite happen. I guess I'm someone for whom youth still seems more real than the present or the half century in between. Mm. And why not? I'm deeply underwhelmed by most contemporary art, literature, music, films, TV, the heinous little phones, money talk, real estate talk, all that stuff. (laughs) <laughs> Inter- the internet, which at first seemed so fascinating, appears to be evolving into something even worse than TV. 
We'll see. Wow. A, a, he should have gone to VidCon this year. <laughs> His mind would have been blown. Yes. I saw a video of two, two TikTokers having a dance battle. Something tells me Donald Fagan would be not about that shit. Nothing, uh, nothing reflects the hallmark of eternal youthfulness, like hating everything contemporary and finding monstrous, it and monstrous you. little phones, heinous, yes. little heinous phones. little phones. Ah, they torture me so with their <laughs> heinous little phones. The buttons are so small, I can't dial a thing. A world of, of tiny little lip syncing videos contained within, <laughs> <laughs> and not one of them is to steal it Dan music. What's it, that about? Inexplicably, uh, similarly looking. Youths named Condor, uh, <laughs> all all doing jokes referencing single ideas that I've never heard of before. <laughs> they call them memes, and I dislike them greatly. <laughs> so I think it might be good for us to maybe keep a running tally yeah, of things, things that, that he hates. Yeah, the shit, yeah, the it's, shit it's got, Donald you, Reagan don't like. Yeah, do, do you have a really long sheet of paper? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me get a butcher a, block because already we have. Heinous little phones. Heinous little uh, contemporary art literature. Music contemporary books. art. Comma, all. Yeah. He's got no feeling for you know Damien Hirst or something. <laughs> He's gonna say nice things about some contemporary things, but much later. Okay, it's gonna be like ooh, Coke Zero tastes just like regular Coke. None of the calories. I don't know. Are we speaking like him correctly? No, Where no, is he no. from? He's from New Jersey. Okay. <laughs> But Coke he, Zero. But he just writes like a mustache twirling villain. Yeah. No, he does sound like a. No, he's a, a cranky brain. old. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, you guys, did you guys watch the? Um, he's like a bagel boss. No, that's a long. No, Island, no, no, not, that, not that's Long Island. Really different. That's uh, really, really well, different. different. Hey, as, as, uh, this might be insulting, uh, but uh, as John G- Gaber says. Uh, same trash, different dub. Well, did you guys see Oh Hello? Because mm-hmm. uh, Celia Dan's like a big part of that show. Oh, they yeah. mentioned Celia Dan all through it. Um, but those guys, that's a, yeah, a gil, a gil those, those are definitely England. Steely Dan fans. Yes. Okay. But you know, it's, you know, it's adjacent. Yeah. yeah. So the, the book is called Eminent Hipsters and, uh, <laughs> hipsterdom, uh, certainly in the classic sense is going to come up all through this. And it's just an idea that's really like classic. The original like, hipster, like the like 50s the hip hipster? Yes. Yeah. Yes. 50s. Okay. And then the kind of who invented 50s, 60s, the, yeah. that, uh, jazz people. No, but like there was a writer who wrote the essay that was like, here's what it hit, like taxonomically describing hipsters. Uh, it wasn't Jack Kerouac, but it was someone, some such somebody. Yeah. Well, he, he said, so he's like explaining the title in the intro and he's like, there are countless definitions of the word hipster. In the title of this book, I'm using it to refer to artists whose origins lie outside the mainstream or who creatively exploit material from the margin or who merely because they live in a freaky place have enough distance to see some truth. Mm. That's not a bad working de- definition of hipster. Yeah. If you kind of go back to the source, you know? Yeah. That's the purity of it. I mean, and it also... And he went to Bard, so he should know. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, again, I mean, hi- hipsters have a... Uh, not to, to wax too philosophical. They have are occupied, like, the basically the same social space for, like, basically since the 50s. They just have more purchasing power now. And then, crucially... In the sometime in the two thousands, people got like uh, confused and labeled like all young urban people. You know hipsters. what's really funny is that while that really is a tipping point on it, uh, I've read a lot of like old magazines and stuff from the nineties over the past few years, and I would notice like the word hipster being thrown around a lot in that. Mm-hmm. Like I have that uh, big book of um, kind of collects all of the the best of Ray Gun, which was a hipster magazine mm. in yeah, the nineties, and I noticed how often that came up. It came up a lot in like a Sonic Youth article. You know, it was just 
Yeah. So it was it was certainly more than my own memory of it. And yeah. these were things yeah. that I a lot of the things I read in the nineties, but you know, I'm an idiot teenager. What do you want? Uh, we read a thing on Chapo that you can only listen if you donated to the Chapo cassette uh, fundraiser, which will still come out at some point. I promise you. Uh, <laughs> where Beto O'Rourke wrote about uh, ultra trendies invading the punk scene in El Paso uh, on a like online form, and just the phrase "ultra trendies" and the way that he mm-hmm. described them, he's like, "Oh yeah, you're you're a thirteen year old." mad at or 15 year old mad at hipsters yeah now you'd be like normies yeah yeah normies mm. but yeah but the him that was just like oh you're, those, those are those are, oh, that's a very 90s thing where yeah, it's yeah. like oh those are just uh posers mm-hmm. they're not they're not really cool like i am and then the one other thing i would my main big theory about like the demise of like hipster hate like hipster hate was really big right when i moved to new york of like 2009 everybody was like making fun of hipsters and it was like it really is a straight line from like if you remember, like, metrosexual panic yeah. to then the way the mainstream talked about hipsters, like yeah. that same, like, a feat over intellectual, urban, young, professional youth, yeah. yuppies, and then mm-hmm. it weirdly just morphed into general hatred of millennials, in mm-hmm. general yeah. uh, suspicion and... and, and uh, yeah, which is, which is, yeah that, that, which is a, a real moving target, because now anyone... Like, just, any, anyone it just younger, means young yeah, person. Yeah. Uh, literally younger than 40 at this point is a millennial. Yeah. And... Still, and still they got it. I'm and they're in there. <laughs> and they're also hipsters somehow. Like yeah. literally anyone under forty. I, I love that someone who is my age is the spa- you know still in the same age category as someone who's like, like nineteen. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm definitely. No older. one can afford a house. Yes. It, yeah. Doesn't it feel good? I mean, that would be great if it then got sublimated into a just class distinction of can or cannot afford a house, and then we all rebelled together to get the houses. That'd yeah. Be cool. So anyway, talking about uh, <laughs> Donald, Donald Fagan. So, <laughs> a man uh, who certainly like, has the houses. Yeah. He, but he doesn't like to talk about he, them. He, he has the money. He does Real not like rich talk. people. We'll get into that. Oh, okay. But he is a rich person. So it's broken up into a lot of essays, and some of them are just like they're just an essay about something he likes. Yeah. And I'm going to just completely yada yada. I will mention in order the, what they are. Okay. Just, so just to honor that part of the book. Yes. Um, but... I'm going to jump into a couple of them to just kind of unpack some interesting ideas about his biography and also about uh, hipsterdom and just like observations. So the first one, and I'm going to yada yada and just kind of, just kind of breeze right by is he wrote an essay about Connie Boswell, who was a jazz singer that he liked. Okay. okay. And like it connects to his mother, uh, who is also a singer. Okay. Okay. Moving on. The second part is about uh, shout out to Connie. Is about the jazz musician Henry Mancini. Oh, yeah. okay. You guys are familiar with you guys. Yes. Are, you guys are a big Mancini fan. Uh, yeah, Peter yeah, Gunn, yeah. the original composer, yes. right? Yep. Bum, big bum, heads. Bum, 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 yep. bum, 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 yeah. I actually, uh, when I play piano, Mancini was one of my favorite uh, composers to play. Cool. I am actually a Mancini. Okay, head. so so you found common ground uh, with Donald Fagan here. Yeah. Um, so Donald. Oh, Fagan, and also the classic. A sweet Mancini. Just a classic Mancini coming at you. Yeah. I mean, Mancini, uh, he, he kind of mentions this a bit, where Mancini is like a big popularizer of jazz. Sure. Mm. He's like, like a guy. Him and Dave Brubeck. Yeah, mm. he's like a guy who transforms jazz from uh, black experimental music to white pop music. Right. So he's kind of he, like an Elvis uh, Presley role, an Eminem role, Beastie Boys <laughs> role. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's, the, he's the Beastie Boys of the 50s pro, Big Bad proto, Jazz. Yeah. Proto Beastie Boys. Yeah, he's the, he's the Beastie Boys of Bop. I'm just, ima- <laughs> I'm just imagining a big band called the Beastie Boys from the 50s, but there's like 20 of them. But, and all the songs are like... Yeah, they're still from Brooklyn. Listen, and like, honestly, it's a sad... Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, sound that different. Uh, I would love that. Uh, 
So, you know, just he gives a little background here that, you know, he is from a, sub- a suburb of New Jersey, uh, northern New Jersey, not far from the city. Okay. Uh, New York City. The, the, yeah, the, York city. the city. Yes. Uh, the Big Apple. It's uh, called Kendall Park. Okay. Never been there. Me neither. I think it's in Bergen County. I might be wrong. Ah. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's talking about uh, kind of inheriting all of this music. This kind of music is in the background. The music that kind of brings him to the real jazz. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's kind of in the way that a lot of us do as kids. You start kind of like piecing together the world into, you know. And which he here describes as, out of these fragments of hip and hype, I constructed in my mind a kind of Disneyland of cool. Ooh. I could imagine musicians cruising up and down Central Avenue in cartoon Studebakers and finally <laughs> assembling in a large sound studio. Folding chairs, music stands. <laughs> you know, we, as kids, we fantasize about folding chairs a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And you got to have music stands as well. Because how else are we going to read the music? But, you know, in, in He's this... He's a practical f- man, this Donald. The cats are sitting in a semicircle around a couple of those enormous RCA microphones on boom stands. Okay. You know, Henry Mancini walks in, not the tanned, carefully coiffed entertainer of later years, but the introspective young professional as pictured in the late 50s album covers. You know, we've all looked at those and we're like, that guy, that's who I want to be. You're pawing yourself, you know? (laughs) Anyway, uh, moving along, he's, you know, he likes Peter Gunn a lot. Watch the show. Um, um, no, I mean that that I actually identify with that because that that idea of like having these discrete pieces of pop culture uh, hit you, and then you need to like kind of synthesize uh, it. synthesize, and yeah. then like when you find that one thing is connected to another. That's my entire youth, and that yeah, became exactly. my entire adult life as well. Yeah, yeah. exactly, and it, especially if you're kind of pop culturally isolated. Yeah, as a lot of my young youth was. Something like Peter Gunn, watching this Peter Gunn show and being like, I really like the vibe of this show. And then your parents put on a Henry Mancini record and they're playing other songs and then maybe a little, and you're like, oh, I like this. And then later you find out that Mancini wrote the Peter Gunn theme and you're like, oh my God, this one thing that I like from one context is connected to this other thing that I like from a different context. Yeah. There's intertextuality here. Like that is actually a wonderful feeling or moment of, yeah, uh, it's of like discovering your own your, yeah your brain and your just your brain literally like making connections uh, yeah, it's like when i nor- when i found out that the the beatles of 1964 were the same beatles of 1969 <laughs> like, wait, I but thought, those guys have beards yeah no i thought those were two different <laughs> bands and i was like wow the other ones are like super weird and hairy like there's uh, just multiple bands called the beatles and then that's how i learned like, about there's like multiple, musical there's multiple restaurants called mcdonald's oh, yeah, exactly exactly <laughs> 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 well, what was I to know? And I was like, oh, same guys. They they really seem to grow also after doing acid. So yeah, yeah. similarities. Yeah. Shout out to the hallucinogens. Gotta get those sugar cubes. Yes. Um, uh, but but you the, know, not the Bjork sugar not, cubes. Well, maybe. maybe. Those are probably really good ones. I'm. Uh, <laughs> yes. Probably. Icelandic, Icelandic acid. acids, probably. I mean, they got the, the northern 80s. lights up there. Like yeah. they all got. They got inspiration so you know he moves along he goes eventually my quest for relevance and authenticity Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, plus a not unsound instinct as to where the most desirable girls were gathering (laughs) propelled me two two very powerful motivators (laughs) propelled me into a phase where even the greatest jazz ellington miles mingus monk Mm. seemed slick and sexually coy and i turned (laughs) to blues and soul music and bob dylan I started reading about pop art and Timothy Leary's experiments at Harvard. Ah. 
Yes. With with what? With uh, drugs. Uh, I was gonna say with a uh, acapella. Yeah. <laughs> no. with, pol- with water polo. What yeah. is the heart? Because the the Yale one's called the Whiffin Poo. The Whiffin Poo. Oh, yeah. I don't know. The Harvard clearly they're not good enough to yeah. uh, noted by like name. get off Yale's turf. The, yeah. Let them have one thing. The <laughs> the, the leery tones. Yeah. Uh, I went to a lot of Brit movies or of the kitchen sink school. <laughs> the language of hip was changing. Ooh. Mm. Because by the time I left suburbia to go off to college in 1965. Mancini seemed a quaint enthusiasm. Mm. <laughs> if I've thought about him at all, he would have seemed at best a popularizer of jazz, a dependable Hollywood professional. Mm. I'm sure some guys in my dorm would have seen him as an insidious agent of the culture industry that was devouring America's native art form and packaging it for mass consumption. <laughs> Hipsters. Hipsters. Yes, yes, yes. This is, that's like uh, how everybody in high school is like uh, yeah, these are like eighteen year olds. <laughs> yeah, how everybody in high school always has like mu- movie soundtracks as uh like their favorite music. Oh, like oh my favorite CD is the Pulp Fiction soundtrack. Or <laughs> oh yeah, Pulp Fiction. yeah, and then yeah. that like goes out of favor. Uh, and then you come back around. Train uh, spotting soundtrack. And then now a lot of people are like, actually, how uh, Hans Zimmer is a really great composer. <laughs> <laughs> it it comes around. Uh, this was, I, 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 uh, I marked this one just for you, Chris. Excellent. Uh, jumping ahead in the Mancini paragraph, because uh, in the irony-saturated 80s, though, new waivers <laughs> and punk bands from a generation even more tube-irradiated than mine <laughs> transmuted the Peter Gunn theme into a kind of no-wave national anthem. Is he talking anthem. about pulp? Is he talking about pulp? No, no-wave. Oh, no-wave? Uh, bands like Lounge Lizards, <laughs> Lounge Lizards played fake jazz, that's in quotes, uh. on purpose. And even now, the downtown art rock crowd still can't seem to get enough of Hank. <laughs> he calls him Hank. Hey, oh, yeah, he's on a Hank There is basis. an orchestra in Paraguay that plays his stuff on instruments made from garbage. <laughs> 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 All right, so moving ahead. Uh, I do want to say, say that Pulp does a great cover of, uh, the, Peter Gunn theme, of the Peter Gunn theme off of their Peel Sessions. Uh-huh. It's good. Good stuff. Um, so the next part of it and this is weirdly a big part of steely dead music it's not a big part but it's part and it's a, he's a big he grew up a sci-fi fan so this, Ooh, okay. this chapter is called the cortico thalamic pause growing up sci-fi <laughs> that, sounds, <laughs> that sounds about right for his era of sci-fi yeah so like one of my favorite steely dan songs is called sign in stranger okay and that song is basically about uh it's from the perspective of people who are on a planet that is being used as a penal colony. We're just sending people to this planet. It's like a, it's like an interplanetary Australia. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes. Intergalactic Australia. Um, yeah. So it's all like, you know, what, creeps it? and thugs on this planet called Mizar mm. 5. Mm. What's, what's the name of the song again? Sign in Stranger. Sign in Stranger. Okay, let's listen yeah. to a little of this while you read this. Love that one. Have you heard Setting up a premise. It's not obvious. It's pretty, the lyrics aren't that obvious. Yeah. If you know what Mizar 5 is, then <laughs> it, it clicks together a little easier. <laughs> I probably heard this song like 40 times before I knew yeah, what it was Yeah, it seems like one of those things where you would sit around listening to it. Like, is he saying Mizar 5? Yeah. Well, you know, the the line that jumps out more is like where he's like, Pepe's got a scar from ear to ear. <laughs> <laughs> you know? 
Anyway, so yeah, the song rolls. There it is. Yeah, who's that guy? It's a Pepe. This is a real what chill song Pepe? with a crispy guitar, lead guitar. Let's let's hear this cool part. This is the chorus. Okay. Now we can pod down. Right. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> pod down, guys. Lush. So, you know, he's uh, contrary to all the popular depictions of the 50s at the time when teens danced on the counters of thousand pastel dappled soda shops to the sounds of twangy guitars, <laughs> the decade was in fact characterized by a nail-biting paranoia. Mm-hmm. Mm. The father, th- he's referring to some stories he liked, the father thing and Finney's body snatchers played off a fear of discovering a commie trained in the art of mind control behind every hedge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In a way, the suspicion that one's neighbor might be one of those nefarious reds was even more disturbing than the threat of thermonuclear war. Mm-hmm. Uh, the enemy so, within. Do be your own people. L- later in his career, um, I, should, I should mention, uh, his first solo record, which is you know almost kind of like now sort of a canonical Steely Dan record after the fact, even though Walter Becker didn't work on it, it's called The Nightfly. And it, it's really the autobiographical record, autobiographical that this thing actually is not so much. Oh, okay. Mm. But there's songs about, uh, there's one song, I can't remember what it's called on my head. It's New Frontier, where he's singing uh, as a teenager about like inviting a girl down to be, hang out in their uh, fallout shelter. Ah. Make ah. out, have a party. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the backdrop he's coming from. Sure. Like a real like red scare, uh, fear of nuclear Ste- war. Step into my shelter, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, I feel like that that's like the revisionist history of the 50s is like all fear, paranoia, racial, political, otherwise. Uh, that From the original like happy days revision. Uh, so, so like the I only like, they're the only so, decade wait, so where it, anyone could like buy a house and like yeah uh, and then know, build a, a second job. secret house under the house yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it, is the revision to the revision like a division yeah it's like a division so now i feel like we're in for another wave of sociolo- sociographic uh study that's like no 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 it actually was great and everybody was just fucking and having a good time the entire time and the the guitar solo was ripped yeah yeah i don't know i feel like actually, ultimately like all honest history is like oh it's always bad yeah it's like it's bad now it was always bad it was never good sorry mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no but there was never a real a true era where everyone was just chilling out and having a good time no yeah. having a normal one no so, nobody so, has ever had a normal no one. one's ever had a normal one what, what, what would that even mean yeah right you could not imagine define normal one <laughs> Everybody's had one normal one in their life, and they're always trying to the day, scratch back. Yeah, towards it's that chasing moment. the dragon yeah. of the normal one. Yeah, it's the day you were born. Yeah, actually, that's that's, that's very, a very not that's normal. It's traumatic. One. Yeah, it's f- funny you mentioned chasing the dragon. Is my favorite Steely Dan song in the chorus uh, mentions uh, tonight when I chase the dragon, the water will change to cherry wine. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah People it's, be it's, loving it's about heroin. Cherry. People be loving <laughs> cherry wine in the seventies. Oh man, I thought I, he would just like really liked dragons and wanted to <laughs> touch them. Hang out. No, that song is from the perspective of like a, of a, uh, a cult leader. Uh, ah, yeah. you know when you think about it, Jon Snow really was chasing the dragon, yeah. or was the dragon chasing, chasing him. him? Anyway, that's that's uh, my that's my <laughs> insight on Game of Thrones. Great end of season, right, guys? Yes, it was really a Emmy Award nominating e <laughs> nominating. So uh, his dad was uh, depression bred XGI. Mm. And you know, moved uh, him and his family to suburban New Jersey. Did not care for it, and you know, he, so he's. But he really related to this because he was really in the thick of like boring, 
fifties America. Yeah. He's uh, like, this sucks. Like any, and he, you know, and from, you know, what we established with the Mancini stuff, like he, you know, or even this other stuff, he knows that there's cool stuff out there, but he's in suburban New Jersey. Mm. Mm. But, you know, he really has this uh Wow, the best paranoia. music really comes from uh, being born in New Jersey. Yeah. It's a powerful thing. You know, you got your Bruce Springsteen, your Jack Antonoff. <laughs> yeah. And those, mean, that's it. That's a, those are the main two. Yes. <laughs> No, actually, the, those Smith, three Pat, guys. No, wait, no. Was she Pennsylvania? She was Pennsylvania. Wait, was, was she Jersey? Patty Patty Smith. Smith. Because my primary <laughs> doors of escape back then were the piano, contemporary jazz, and building plastic models of fighter jets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Very. That yeah. sounds very uh, wholesome fifties. Uh, uh, honestly, by nineteen sixty eight, the paranoia was thick. The Vietnam War was escalating. Kennedy two and King were assassinated, and both the right and the left were caught in a cycle of fear and fury. Does that sound? Minus the assassinations, that sounds uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. a little familiar. Yeah, uh, Several gruesome murders, the groovy murders, Manson, <laughs> <laughs> broke the spirit of the alternative community. Almost immediately, the counterculture, this alliance of aspiring mutants, seemed to have a nervous <laughs> breakdown and fragmented into cliques devoted to one authority figure or another. <laughs> you sign up with the Maharishi, uh, Baba, Rajneesh, and his orange people, Sun Myung Moon, the Sufis, the Jesus freaks, the Hare Krishnas, the various sects of Buddhists. <laughs> See, the funny, the funny thing is, is that I would say that, like, uh, you know, I mean, this is kind of dark, but it's also kind of, kind of funny that, you know, hopefully somebody associated with like the online left uh, doesn't uh, go crazy and murder somebody because of yeah. uh, the fracture. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to anybody to get murdered, but then also the, you know, that that spirit of the breaking of the will of an emergent movement, mm. but also everybody who's already in the online left already acts like they're in that post Manson murders days, and that everybody's wait in like tiny sectarian clicks out to <laughs> out to destroy each other before somebody murders them <laughs> again. So when are the Chapos all going to start their own separate cults or become parts of other cults? Uh, we talk about this also at the end of that uh, tape episode, which nobody will ever be able to hear. Wow. <laughs> yes. You know, because in addition, there are the human potential movements already mentioned, plus ES. I'm sorry, Est. I know it's called Est. Mm. Arica. I don't know what that is. Primal Therapy and scores of others. In the political sphere, you have the Panthers and the Weathermen. It's funny because this really does sound like, are we? This, it's just a preview of what yeah, we're yeah. in for. Like, what will we have... Uh, like when is the real radicalism gonna kick mm. in? Yeah, but it is like um, I think he's describing that that move that very particular like early seventies turn from ex- external to individual. It's like all the the shattering of the will of the sixties uh, youth movement from the political tendencies of the 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 very activated political tendencies of the hippies that just all turns into like cults of personality or personal benefit cults or like Esalon Institute uh, things. You know what I'm talking about, Matthew? The, the yeah. like California self-help movement. All yeah, that, where that Don Draper got that really good idea for that. The Coke commercial. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and look, I don't know, maybe current versions of this really is more in the uh, wellness space. Or yeah. Oh, know. yeah. Yeah. No, we're, cults are, are real. It's just you pay $35 a session and you ride a bike for 45 minutes in the dark. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> God. Same shit. So it's all this super capitalist. Somebody really needs oh. to do one of those the soul cycle things, except every you can't choose different instructors. It's all the same. Well, people, but people do have their favorite instructors. And yeah, they, yeah. They, go, like, they follow them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But no, you need just to have one. Ooh, yeah, one it's too decentralized. It's too fragmented. There yeah. needs to be one master yes. soul cycle where you go see Jonathan's ride. I have to ride with Jonathan today. <laughs> Jonathan knows exactly. 
how to ride. <laughs> so um, the next part of this book, he talks about being a, a young fan of uh, the, the writer and uh, radio host Gene Shepard. Okay. Um, I'm going to really, I'm going to zoom past that. But okay. Gene Shepard, I guess, would be, I don't know, sort of like a Chapo guy now, <laughs> yeah. in, in that era cool. of being like an alternative uh, radio guy, uh, very counterculture, definitely uh, a bit of a troll. Yeah. So, does he like doing pranks and stuff? Oh yeah, I mean that's a big part of the show. Look into it. Well, so there's no need to derail this into talking about Gene Shepard, but yeah, I'm uh, looking up some Gene Shepard bits, and they're all like 45 minutes long. Yeah. So, uh, but but uh, if you've ever seen the movie A Christmas Story, okay. that is written and uh, the the voiceover is him. Oh, okay. that's, that, that's Gene Shepard. So, okay. but most people are familiar with Gene Shepard. That's his big legacy. So Got he does it. like a lot of like long, like. Shaggy dog stories with like a lot of gags in them, and and yeah, kind of like and like he just has picaresques kind of, of small town America and stuff like mm, that. More urban, I think. Okay. But it's still kind of like you know, and also just a real distrust the squares, and you know, mm-hmm. like the whole thing of making the audience like really feel like I'm in a counterculture. I'm out there like freaking out normies for Gene Shepard. Sure. So yeah, that's that really is kind of the point of that. Um, the next part is him talking about jazz clubs. Sure. Okay. And uh, pro this, con. Oh. Loves, loves jazz. This guy Great. loves jazz more than anything. D- does okay. he really like celebrate and like like almost uh, hagiographically like, man, the only the only good place in America is in a basement jazz club on a Saturday night. Listen to a hot set from a from a Hepcat. Here, I'll, I'll read the first uh, few lines of this chapter, and that'll probably answer your question. Uh, Once upon a time, the jazz club was a mythic place that <laughs> signified urban romance, free love, and hipsterdom, and the Dionysian rites of the exotic black man. <laughs> In short, the dread possibility of ecstasy. Mm. As a survivor of many nights in actual jazz clubs, I can testify that the image was only partly correct. Uh, oh, no. no. The part was false. Yes. Girls don't talk to me enough. Oh, yes. oh we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> the, dr- the dread power of the black. What was he talking about? There? Yeah. We were yes, just this talking like about- he, he went to the jazz clubs. Yes. He, he liked went. it sometimes. Yeah. Well, we were just talking last week about the, the West Village jazz clubs and how the funny part of it from from Sun Ra's perspective, was that really they were all uh, places where drug dealers hung out until the people that they dealt to started hanging out there yeah. and it got too too lame for the dealers. Yes. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you're not sluts. too far off from this. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think he had actually more of a connection to the guy in the next chapter who was uh, Mort Fega, the host of the radio show Jazz Unlimited. <laughs> and, uh, Jazz, etc. Then there's a, he did a, there's an interview he did with uh, Inyo Morricone. The, the, Ooh, the, yes. The, uh-huh. the, uh-huh. Right, you know, it's, it's, it's a brief interview. It's like, well, all right. Um, I'm glad he included. Uh, in then book. there's a <laughs> then there's a brief chapter about just like Ray Charles. He's great. <laughs> Ray Charles, and love then, him. So, at this, so at this point in the book, he's just really he's really like great musicians. You love them, don't you? Well, oh, he, I mean, he wrote this stuff for magazines. Right, so right, it's right, just right. Like, so, yeah. Oh yeah, like oh yeah, I wrote that. That'll take up like five pages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, just going through the filing cabinet, being like, oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Ray so Charles, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the next one is just like an appreciation of Ike Turner. Okay. And you know, he he, he acknowledges that he's a problematic figure. Ah, uh, yes. So I just, I just want to put it out there, but yeah, okay, that's great. All, that's all he's you really aware need to of cancel culture. <laughs> he's not he's he's not an Ike did nothing wrong. <laughs> okay. So now now we're moving into a part that's more autobiographical, but also like it gets a little deeper into the culture of hipsterdom in the yeah. late sixties, uh, when he's at Bard. Yes. Uh the good stuff, guys. Uh, he went there. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was recruited for their basketball team. 
Have I said that on the podcast before? What's the Bard basketball team? Well, it must have, no, it must have been horrible. I forgot about I that have, story. I applied uh, early action and I got in. Wait, and Molly, then, you, I'm assuming that you played basketball Yeah, well, in here's school. the okay. thing. I did play in um, up till eighth grade, but there's no way Bard would have known about that. Were you I think good at basketball? Sent, not particularly. I was very aggressive. Yeah. Um, which goes a long way, but too honestly too far in certain but, female sports uh, zones. For not, pl- I would say that not playing basketball for the four full years before you applied to college would, would go me, longer. Than yes, than no, being, it would be uh, uh, make me very bad. A coach's note that says "good, come up aggressive." Yeah, no, right. but I, I know I got a letter shortly after I was accepted, being like, "You should come play for our basketball team." And I maybe they send it to every woman. Hey, yeah, I mean you don't you don't look like someone who'd be like, oh, that person plays basketball. Maybe you're, it was you're anyone like, who had like played five, sports. Four, you're very petite. You don't really look basketball. I was a tall child, Did and you, it you was effective sh- for a while. Track and a little lacrosse. Yeah, I threw, I threw shot put. <laughs> so <laughs> not noodle basketball, arms. basketball skills. No, my, maybe they just saw sports and they were like, I don't know, we're just gonna throw some spaghetti at the wall. They but just need in an alternate bodies. timeline. I could have been like the most amazing player on the Bard, uh, like intramural basketball team, captain of the Bard, sliding doors, man, yeah. sliding doors. Anyway, bar- and Bard, could, and you could so, have met a man like Donald Fagan, Annandale on Hudson. Yeah, I could have taught. Tra- oh God, if I'd met a man like Donald Fagan in two thousand eight. <laughs> Nothing good would have happened. Guys, we're about to get into Donald Fagan's love life. Oh, yes. America. Great. Great. Uh, so in high school, understand, I'd never had much of a social life. Mm. Too busy thinking about things. Building, building, <laughs> I was one of building the... Building f- models of uh, warplanes, A-10 Warhawks. <laughs> I was one of a few Jews in a spanking new facility in rural New Jersey. Mm. Rural? I don't think that's I don't think that's correct. I'm like New Jersey's the most Maybe densely populated state in the union. Yeah, no and, and, and this New is like Jersey's northern rural. Jersey. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe at the time it was more rural. There's probably ten square miles of all of New Jersey that you could call rural. Well, of course, there's the there's, well, there's the pine, there's there's the pine barrens. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay, fine. Okay. <laughs> Moreover, I was an introverted jazz snob who was afraid to ride in other kids' cars for fear that Johnny get angry by Joni Summers might come on the radio. Though I did have a secret throb for Mary Weiss of the Shangri-Las. Oh my God. A secret throb. throb. A secret throb. Yeah, get that checked out, man. <laughs> WebMD. Oh boy. This writes like somebody trying to parody uh, 50s, 50s lingo. This is, well, we're in the 60s now, but yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, while the rest of my class was attending sports events or knocking over gas stations, <laughs> I really had no like idea what they did. Robbing? That's a parenthetical. Okay. <laughs> I was home in my room flipping through Saturday Review. I had a subscription. Okay. Reading the thick Dover paperback that stolen from a basement bookshop in Princeton or sitting at the piano copying licks off Red Garland records. I didn't drink or smoke. Aside from Soupy Sales' Rogue Kitty show, I had stopped watching TV when I was about 13. Wow. In short, I was a first-tier nerd and pitifully lonely. Uh, <laughs> that it, that sounds like the co- it really does sound like the copy from like the uh, the the Charles Atlas Are You a 98 Pound Weekly <laughs> uh, ad copy getting the sand kicked in your face in the beach then try the Charles Atlas muscles pulling against muscles. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Matthew? It's funny you mentioned that because he's gonna, he's now <laughs> lacking physical competence. Uh, I was shy with girls. Was he was a very skinny young man. I was uh. hoping you were gonna say he was gonna get swollen and. and college though i doubt uh has ever at any point in his life been anything that you could call swole no Uh, i'd skip the proms and graduation and all that stuff 
The idea of actually going on a date was both conceptually repugnant and beyond <laughs> the limits of my courage. Oh. In my senior year, I'd somehow managed to gain the friendship of a gorgeous, sad, and hilarious girl by tossing off snappy remarks. I could make her laugh, but it never went much further than that. Oh, man. Friend zone. Yeah. If only you had known the, the, the term for that at that point. You yeah. So I was a bit anxious when I walked into the soldery hall tequila mixer. <laughs> the lights had been dimmed. Along one wall, several tables had been set up and stocked with hundreds of shot glasses rimmed with salt and filled with tequila. Wow, this sounds great. Yeah. I know, right? Is there anything to mix it with or do they have to drink it straight? They called it a tequila mixer. Yeah. <laughs> well, you drink the tequila and then you mix with the, the mix it uh, with your stomach juices. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or I guess you just bring some grapefruit juice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, a little Paloma. I will say that this is about the the most vivid description of '60s college life that we've had. That's on true. The, no, on the show no one yet. that we've talked about who was a musician in the '60s went, went to college. To college. Yeah. So so this is like uh, the the best. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, Animal House is more of a '50s vibe, but this is like the best depiction of, of actually going to a university in the 60s yeah or bard college, right. college moving on a couple of hours and many shots later i was sitting against a wall unable to move watching an extended jam by the group image or whatever some band okay for whatever they may have lacked in the way of musical accomplishment they compensated with real enthusiasm <laughs> and nice visuals including strobe lighting system oh hell the yeah. first i'd ever seen it sounds pretty punk and a skinny girl singer named sheila <laughs> Who was wearing the shortest microskirt ever manufactured? Oh. Cool. Yeah, so you got you got a throb yeah. on that one. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm he's sitting on the ground, on so I bet so, his yeah. uh, his yeah. angle is. Get a get a few uh, of those thousands tequila shots. <laughs> She'd stopped singing early on and was now in a Dionysian trance, <laughs> twitching like a maenad. <laughs> a maenad? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna yada yada bit of this again. He he does. Sound like an incel form poster. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I should I should comment on Bard's strangely apolitical character. Mm -hmm. After all, this was the '60s. I could say that the sort of student Bard attracted in those days, no matter from what background, tended to share that portion of the decade's ethos that was concerned with exploring inner space rather than mm -hmm. the drive to interact mm -hmm. with the world and affect change. Mm -hmm. Or that we were trained to be cultural revolutionaries and not firebrands keen to man the barricades. I could say that the campus was isolated in a rural district that made access to daily newspapers and television difficult. But folks, I don't want to be no jive turkey. <laughs> Most of us were just incredibly self-involved, happy as hell to be away from our noids. That's parents from paranoids. Oh, the parents. And primed. Paranoids. Yeah, our noids. The Noid. Oh, the Noid. Gotta the avoid noids. them. Avoid the Noids. <laughs> Folks, avoid them. And primed to leave our repressive 50s behind and make the leap into the groovy, unbounded, sexualized, dayglow future. I thought you were going to say, like, truthfully, we were all just horny as hell. We were so horny we couldn't be political. That's active. what a dayglow future is. Yeah. <sighs> I, I, I got to say that I, I was primed to, like, really uh, uh, be entertained of this guy as, like, a, a peak boomer crank, but... So far, he's really identifying a lot of the points of where boomerism went wrong. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I feel like <laughs> the more I think of this, there's a lot of ways that you kind of line up with him. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. That, like, that, like, <laughs> that fatal turn introspective is like the, is 
Correct. That yeah. is a correct analysis of, yes. of what went wrong. The only demonstration I remember was a march on the president of Bard's house, totally justified, to protest the horrible quality of the food on campus. <laughs> Classic. Yep. Wait, isn't that what Lena Dunham did at Oberlin? Wasn't there a problematic vegan mm-hmm. yes, menu yes. or something? Yeah. Anyway. I, I think they just wanted like food that was tasty. Wait, yeah, is yeah. This a, who was, doesn't? Is this a joke or was this real that the sushi was a appropriation? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's it. Oh God. Oh yeah, no, yeah. That's that, so it was Lena that Dunham. their their um the ethnic foods were um not Inauthentic. authentic. Uh, ah, authentic like Donald Fagan searching for authenticity, for authenticity but yeah. in some inward like consumptionist web the struggle of the hipster yeah the struggle mm. of the hipster besides Eternal, i had grave <laughs> problems of my simple. own from the very first weeks at bard i'd fallen in love with a new beauty at least once a semester mm. each Those one more unhinged than the last <laughs> <laughs> perhaps i felt more comfortable with girls who made me feel like my own degree of lunacy was less severe that actually yep, is, that is explains a lot of relationship problems yes but if truth be told, I'd always been drawn to those damaged, incandescent originals who oh, seem to have, out of necessity, created themselves from scratch, whose core beauty reveals itself in the way they describe themselves in their world. And it's it's funny because like when once I read that part, I was like, oh, that really is like at least five major Steely Dan songs. <laughs> um, just like that's that's usually if if a song is about a girl, it's like, oh man, she's such a mess. She's a, a I love her. She's a mess. She's a mess. That incandescent beauty. Are these writings from the time when it wouldn't? No, this no. This, this is this is. Uh, I think this this chapter may have been written for the book. It may have been uh, one of the few things he wrote. Wow. which is amazing because again, it does sound. It is like an actually pretty good indictment of like late sixties again introspective boomerism, but it does have the same writing style of an over verbose incel forum poster, like write, writing about these girls that are so damaged and. Why can't I just be damaged enough to earn the? Yeah, I, it, I don't know. In any case, he's there got, was he's got that vibe, and he's <laughs> yeah, channeling it fifty years on as like a seventy-year-old guy in uh, in t- the early twenty tens. There was certainly never any thought or calculation on my part. I'd spot someone in class or see a girl on the platform at Rhinecliff Station, and that would be that. <laughs> Usually, I'd just stare at the object of my desire <laughs> from afar and die a thousand deaths. Oh my god! <laughs> and be like, but that not- girl looks damaged <laughs> enough for me to for me to date. But not always. One numbing winter, I was so in love with a skipping blonde pixie. Uh. I stopped eating and sleeping and developed walking pneumonia. Oh, have, wow. you ever, have you ever been that horny? No. That's, that is like the, I think you should leave guy. Just like. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Honk man. if you're worried. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like calendars. Calendars. Or- I remember standing in the snow one night, Ugh. tapping on her dorm window and pleading until she finally took me, coughing and weeping, into her bed. Oh, God. He oh. has walking pneumonia. Oh, no. Oh. Another time in the dining commons. I'm sorry. I like that he stopped the story there. Like, I'm sorry, Donald. What happened, happened after that? that? Jesus. <laughs> Another time in the dining commons, I saw a tall, exotic creature in a ruffled miniskirt drop a slice of bologna on her slim, naked thigh, stare at it with an amused expression for a 10 count, and then peel it off and eat it. Years later, I looked her up and ended up following her to Paris. Wait, 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 wait. Finish that story. Don't abandon that thought. That sounds so weird. That he followed the part where he followed her to Paris. The fact that he can be that horny for somebody <laughs> dropping baloney like years later. Why? 50 years later, that was a story from the late 60s. And if he's writing that for this book in like 2011. Vivid memory of the oh. baloney. Erotic baloney. Oh, 
That is that is some kink shit. He definitely has some baloney fantasies. Oh that my god! <laughs> I, didn't I know mean, he can she baloney in Paris, so that was a big move for him, regardless. She was oh a tall, exotic creature. Wow, that is among the horniest you know, things that we've ever like a giraffe. <laughs> she was blonde, uh, a spotted, uh, buxom, and covered in baloney. <laughs> that is among one of the most awkwardly horny things that we have ever read on the show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, probably one of the other ones was also a girl covered in meat. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. Sorry. In, in, the Maryland, that? in the Maryland Manson. And that, that's uh. the Maryland Manson. Look it up. That is uh, also one of the most bizarrely horny things that we've ever read yep. on this show. Baloney on women. Uh, added to and introducing bingo is yes. uh, getting uh, horny for women, women covered in lunch meat. Yeah. Wow. Here we are. Oh, it's man. a great time. But I like how it's like a formative thing for him. Yeah. It's like it's like he's not into baloney. It's just the the moment remembering the, that. The ten, like, oh God. So how can I how can I reconnect seconds? with that? Yeah, that ten count. Ten seconds <laughs> of, ten. of just baloney. And that's heard of the ate ten it. second oh, rule. She ate it. Oh god damn it. Uh, <laughs> it's it's such a it's a mind. The way that he wrote it is like a very evocative. it's evocatively horny, but it's not it's not good or right. Think better, Donald. Anyway, our, our, our good friend, our, our favorite incel, Donald, uh, gets uh, turned on to LSD, as he mentioned uh, yeah. earlier in the book. Yeah. And, goes, and what did Donald learn? Well, LSD trips are famously impossible to describe. Not like, book, not like baloney on the girl's legs. <laughs> yeah, that's clear as day. And impossibly boring to hear about as well. Let's just say that Dr. Leary's method was a resounding success. Ah. So he he meets Walter Becker, his partner of you know the, the many many years. Where does he meet him? At Bard, their at fellow Bard. students. Okay. Walter Becker and I had many interests in common: jazz, blues, all sorts of popular music, Nabokov, and the writers of mm. what was then called the Black Humor School, <laughs> science fiction, and so on. And you know, possibly baloney legs. Yeah, <laughs> Nabokov. That's he may good. have been there. He that's he may have seen that himself. Yeah. Um, Walter shared an enormous room in Ward Manor with a dandyish wag by the name of Randall. <laughs> Randall didn't seem to mind when Walter carted in two humongous Altec monitor speakers through which he blasted for both pleasure and as a matter of professional interest some of the greatest music of the time. Wow. We had similar tastes, which ran from Miles Davis to the Mothers of Invention, whom we both had seen during their infamous run at the Garrick Theater on Bleecker Street. Ooh. Mm. I, would, I would have enjoyed to see the mothers at Garrick. Yeah. Walter hit me to the inspiring stuff, both old, Alan Wolf, and new, Laura Nero, for the first time. Mm. Mm. So he's his, 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 his look, sounds like his door into the, uh, the greater world of uh, uh, the pop possibilities of, of jazz and, and composed music. Yeah, I mean, all music is composed, but you know what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, you know, the world of like classical and big band and all that shit. So he talks about, uh, you know, the early songs that he started writing with Walter. I'm interested in this, uh, this dandyish wag who is uh, Randall. Yeah, what's Randall up to? <laughs> yeah, who who is has pays no mind to giant speakers and these two dorks being like, "You saw Mothers at Garrick? I saw Mothers at Garrick, but they were they were so good. Did you see how they inverted the C on the their 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 interpolation of Weasel's root my foot? Oh, that would be a little anyway. Better, the, but, but, but this is a good point because like Randall sounds, he's got a story. Yeah, just like the girl that he's like tapping under window, and she's like, "I'll bring this super sick guy into yes. my Fine. Donald. You have to go home, Donald. <laughs> yeah, you have to go like, home." What's she about? Yeah. yeah. You know, what's baloney leg girl, that yeah. tall exotic creature? What's yeah. she about? Is she a person? Yeah. Is he is he just She's, ins- is she French? Is, is he she- just insinuating that Randall is gay? I think so. Yeah. 
So maybe that was just a, a weird experience for him at yeah. the time. Yeah. The guy Randall's like, don't make a big deal about me being gay and I won't make a big deal about these speakers. <laughs> about these yeah. So speaking of uh, the first songs that they wrote together, you know, for whatever reason, the combination of funky grooves, jazz chords, and the sensibility of the lyrics, which seemed to fall somewhere between Tom Lehrer and Pale Fire, really cracked us up. Of course, at that point, what we were doing was pretty crude compared to what some of our later efforts, but it was nevertheless fun. Ah, yeah, well, don't be too hard on yourself. <laughs> yeah. You're in the, uh. the dorm room of a dandyish wag. <laughs> you're, just, you're just riffing. It's funny because I'm yada yada in this book, but he yada yada that he suddenly has a girlfriend. Um, oh. ooh, yeah. Anyway, I switched back to English, arranged my classes so they were all bunched together on Thursday and Friday, and moved to Brooklyn with Walter and my girlfriend, Dorothy ooh, White. Wow. The original uh, move to Brooklyn hipster. Do you know? Okay, you want to hear where he moved to? Where did he move to? Sheep's Head we, Bay. We found two apartments in Park Slope. Oh my oh, God. That's where we are right now. <laughs> Holy shit. Which had yet to become the hipster heaven that it was to be. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I really wish I could find uh, where uh, Walter Becker and, and Donald Fagan's apart, uh, Park Slope apartments are. Back then, it was still Archie Bunker heaven. Mm. It was the sort of neighborhood where shoulder length hair could provoke comments like, are you a boy or a girl? Ooh. Go bears. back to the village. <laughs> we persevered and began our two-pronged assault on the music business. <laughs> Uh, we began peddling pop tunes on Tin Pan Alley in Midtown Manhattan. And at the same time, search for players who might fit into the group we wanted to use as a vehicle for our prime stuff. The stuff we thought of as the dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> Is that with a capital D? But that's another story, which he doesn't get into. <laughs> I've, I've actually got a three book deal with Penguin and I, I really need to save some shit. So. Like, I'm not kidding. This is like pretty much the end of the book proper. He mentions a bit about, um, like there's a, one of the really famous uh, Steely Dan songs is called My Old School. And in, there, oh, in that, that song, one. he mentions uh, Daddy G, who is G Gordon Liddy. And there is a whole, <laughs> I can't even remember the whole story. It doesn't matter. It's a, he has a long-standing grudge against G Gordon Liddy. All right. While we're, uh, look, if this is the only time that G Gordon Liddy is going to come up on this uh, podcast, I will say that G Gordon Liddy was one of my first radio enthusiasms. And when I was a, a young boy, uh, I would listen to, um, like, I'm talking like third, fourth, fifth grade. I would listen to G Gordon Liddy obsessively on the radio. It was a, a member of, um, Richard Nixon's plumbers. Do you know who G. Gordon Liddy is, Molly? No. Broke into the Watergate. Yeah, he bro he was one of the the crooks who broke into the Watergate on behalf of Nixon's uh, creep committee okay. to reelect the president uh, squad. And then he had a talk radio show in the late nineties, early two thousands, uh, a la Rush Limbaugh. And there were, look, I didn't fucking know what I was listening to. I was in third, fourth, fifth grade, but I was uh, compelled by his commanding monologue discussion, paranoid discussions of, of politics. I have an equivalent version of this because I grew up listening a uh, bit when I was a teenager to uh, Bob Grant, who was the, on... Like the New York area. Right. right. Well, yeah, he, he's from New Jersey. And it's funny because he's like another New Jersey crank. And uh, he would be on... Uh, I mean, he was like this unfathomably old. And this is in the <laughs> 90s. And I think he died somewhere in the early to mid-aughts. But he just sounded old. Yeah, <laughs> and he was just yell at people like so. Uh, like one thing, uh, one of his catchphrases was if so, he didn't like someone, he'd go, get off my phone. <laughs> and uh, Tom Sharpling, who's one of my big radio heroes, uh, has taken that he because he would listen to Bob Grant as yeah, well. Yeah, but he's it was one of those things where like 
I don't think my politics, I don't think I was even fully like glomming onto what the hell his politics were. Other yeah, than, exactly, like he would just exactly. be like, uh, like ranting about like, you know, like Montclair, New Jersey politicians <laughs> and how much he hated them. Yes. Or like, I remember he hated Mario Cuomo. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, yeah. But, but still like the en- the energy of that anger of that, like that, the hyper masculine anger. Yeah. And like, and, and uh, WBC also had his opposite number, this woman named Lynn Samuels. And Lynn Samuels was like this, you know, it was kind of like the, the, the same energy, mm-hmm. but she was just kind of like the super like old lady, Jewish lady from New York City, like strong accent. Right. You know, very sassy. And like it was this. But yeah, they're, like they're on the they just kind of balance each other out. Completely opposite ends of the political spectrum. Yeah. Just if, look, if we're, if the words G. Gordon Liddy are going to come up on the show, I'm going to have to say that at this point, if, if I'm making like a top five, G. Gordon Liddy might be one of my guys. Oh yeah. <laughs> given my, given my, current, when you're on Mark Marin, <laughs> given my current like career and like what I'm interested in right now, you know, and, and just like producing, uh, uh, um, confrontational political radio content, spending my like third, fourth, fifth grade listening to G. Gordon Liddy, trying to read all the president's men in fifth grade. God, you, were we- you were weirder than I was, I think. Uh, because be- specifically because I was a fan of G. Gordon Liddy. <laughs> what did your parents think of this? I don't know. I don't know, man. Hmm. Uh, anyway. So he's, he's one of my guys. We're, we're moving into the tour diary part of the book. Now. Okay, finally. So, Which appears to be about the last 30 pages. It's, yeah, like the, it's about a... Actually, almost like half the book. Okay. Ah. okay. Um, it, this is a real like, oh, God, I have to bring this book and what's the path of least resistance? This is not a tour diary of him on tour with Steely Dan. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's him on tour with the Dukes of September, <laughs> okay. which is a super group of him, Boz Skaggs, and Michael McDonald. Oh, my goodness. My God. The feel thing is, if you had named... If you had named the members of that supergroup, I feel like I could have guessed, guessed the name. Are they all be. born in September? Do they like September as a month? The old Virgo. I don't think he yeah. actually explains it. I don't think he cares to. I'm gonna see if I can find out. This is the shit that keeps me up at night. The Dukes of September. <laughs> yeah. The project turned into a New York rock and soul review, mm. which toured national nationally for two years. He <laughs> yada yadas that he got married. <laughs> to, to a woman named men Libby. love to do that in these yes, things though it's been a trope of being like several p- times like oh yeah but melissa was not happy with me being on the road so much i'm like who <laughs> oh yeah he goes fast forward to 1988 please i was feeling a lot better a friend of mine libby titus was producing a series that she called the horrible little evenings of music and comedy <laughs> restaurants anyway he married her um, <laughs> like much later, he goes. I'm in town with this band, the Dukes of September Rhythm <laughs> Review, which is Michael McDonald, Boz Skaggs, and me performing a program of moldy old R&B and soul tunes that we like, with some of our own hits thrown in to keep the TV babies happy. The TV, TV babies. babies. Put a pin in that. That's a great band name. TV, TV yeah, actually, it is. Uh, is that referring to his own audience at this point? Yeah, we'll get into that. Okay, great. <laughs> That is that is his pejorative term for his entire audience. The TV babies. So does he, does he perceive his whole audience to be like a half generation under him? We'll get to that. Okay, great. He will explain this in detail. The other players are mostly guys and gals I play with in the Steely Dan band. The group I've started with my partner Walter. Walter. Which is a, it's like we know we know, we know that's who Walter we, is. We know what Steely Dan is. We're, right. We're Two thirds of the way into this book. <laughs> yeah. 
Wait, are, wait this guy's in Steely Dan? <laughs> <laughs> which is actually like sort of fair because the degree to which he mentions Steely Dan in the first half of this book is like very minimal. Yes, it's like, it's like he, does he ever talk about any of the hit records they made? No, not <laughs> ever once. It's I just like, like he goes deep into detail on Henry Mancini, but Asia, the record that sold several million copies, not at all. This <laughs> this record seems, or this book seems thematically muddled. <laughs> like, it's it's sure just why. the most it's 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 just the most half-assed book. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's written well, but it's it's the entire existence is like oh, fine. There's a book. Here's a book. It's like oh, I need get the money. Book. I'll take the money. Okay. Uh, is there know, a story? Records don't sell as well as they used to. And the you know, is there a story you need to tell? No, you, you need a book. Get a give a book. Give a book. Yeah, I mean, he was definitely talked into doing this. Like this, it, you might as well have called it uh, Donald Fagan's. So here's a book. Anyway, he like he talks a little bit about uh, just trying to figure out what the set list is going to be. Mm-hmm. He goes. Uh, also, I've been worrying about the set list, wondering if the sequence of songs is suitably dramatic. And if the mix of our hits, McDonald's, Boz's, Steely Dan songs, you know, solo the stuff, Dukes of September, yeah. <laughs> those classic Dukes of September, and our cover tunes, many of which are probably unfamiliar to a lot of the TV babies. TV babies uh, is TV correct. Babies. He does hate those TV babies. Plus, although the three of us grew up with mostly black music and feel pretty comfortable with it, I'm always feeling defensive and trying to minimize any perceived minstrelsy about the project. The that's fact, shockingly woke for, for yeah, him. Yeah, it's pretty. I don't know. I, I feel like he, like he anytime. I mean, obviously, I yada yada a lot of this book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, he is definitely very sensitive to this. Uh, but is he sensitive to accusations, or is he is sensitive you know, to the actual? He, 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 well, pro- yeah, it's just because his investment in black music is so total. It's so it's such a huge part of his life. This has been on his mind his whole life. Yeah, yeah. Because right. the fact that we've got two African American musicians, bassist Freddie Washington and singer Catherine Russell, doesn't mm. really ease my mind in this regard since the three principals are all white singers who have been heavily influenced by black style. Mm. Right. Okay. Oh, yeah. Pay them double. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Pay them more what you're I making. See. Okay. That's, so, those, that's, uh, that's soul reparations. So he's on tour now. He's playing Boulder, Colorado. I'm, and our next stop is Aspen, Colorado. By the way, I'm not posting this journal on the internet. <laughs> why I'm should anti-blog? Why, I'm not blogging. Why would anybody keep a journal online? Hold, hold on. Why should I let you lazy, spoiled TV babies read it for nothing in the same way you download all the songs my partner and I sacrificed our entire youth to write <laughs> and wow. record, not to mention the miserable, friendless childhoods we endured that left us with lifelong feelings Whoa. of shame and self-reproach. We were forced to countervail with a fragile grandiosity and a need to constantly prove our self-worth. In short... With the sort of personality disorders that ultimately turned us into performing monkeys. <laughs> wow, there's a Look, lot to unpack there. There is yeah. a lot to unpack. It's one thing to to uh, complain about the hard work of your prime, accomplished, successful years being stolen by a new generation of freeloaders, but then to retroactively complain about your nerdy teenage years <laughs> being stolen by the same uh, free, new generation. I've never seen Lars Ulrich do that. Yes. <laughs> I did not have sex until after college just to have Napster be invented. <laughs> all, How dare you? All those years I was sitting in my uh, bedroom masturbating furiously to like uh, girl. To, to <laughs> the image of a, a girl who dropped a slice of bologna on her leg. All those years I didn't imagine would be stolen from me from somebody downloading the songs I would 
create in the future. Yes. That, that time he might have got a hand job while he had pneumonia and broke yes. into a girl's apartment. Yes. Just so his dorm room. Just so his six biggest songs could end up on every LimeWire yeah. server. Yes, while well, he was <laughs> atrocities. Like, but, but it, it's like Peg, but it's uh, titled "What a Fool Believes." <laughs> yeah. While well, he was getting um, that pneumatic hand job, he was the entire time he was thinking somebody better not theoretically steal from me in the future. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so again, this is not a Steely Dan tour, right? And he goes, "Let me explain." Compared to a Steely Dan tour, the Dukes is a low rent operation. Oh wow! Mm. Throwing Boz and Michael under the under with the- Steely Dan, the venues tend to be a little nicer, and mm. so are my travel conditions. Mm. While the band and crew schlep around on buses, Walter and I, whenever possible, spoke out on a major city with nice hotels like L.A. or Chicago, and fly back and forth to the nearby gigs in a nifty chartered jet. Ooh! Wow! I will. I mean, that pr- does sound nice. It's pricey, but it's uh, but it saves wear and tear on the old guys. <laughs> no jet for me this summer, though. Mm. I mean, that must be a big <laughs> indignity having to go from private jet back to buses P- in your like sixties yeah. or seventies. Yeah, he's, he's, PJ. Yeah, I think he's uh, early to mid sixties at this point. Um, from Teterboro back to good old fashioned uh, the Port Authority. Yeah. What a nightmare. <laughs> the Welkin Lodge in Aspen is advertised as perfect for pleasure seekers, a high-style chill pad where beautiful people let loose. Come experience the secret behind the red velvet rope. The truth of this statement is dependent on how you define pleasure, high style, beautiful, and so on. Is, it, is in- this a Yelp review? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean, a lot of this is basically Yelp reviews from here on out. Oh, Donald. For instance, you'd have to be able to extract pleasure from a swim in a tiny paramecium-shaped pool surrounded by fake rock formations and filled with a tepid solution of semen and swamp water. Wow. Honestly, that sounds like a... One star. (laughs) At least that's what it looked like. Nevertheless, needing some sort of exercise, I thrashed around for a few minutes, being careful not to let the water get near my mouth or nose. The only other person used in the pool was a very large Samoan-style man with burly arms, and only his arms were densely tattooed. He'd stepped in the water, in quotations, every 15 minutes or so to lean against the side of the pool, cooling off and get out. He's like, yes, I did swim laps in pure jizz for two minutes, (laughs) but I did not like it, but I had to do it for my back. The pool is set in a kind of patio with tables and chairs where the beautiful people were chilling out and drinking special drinks. As I was getting out of the pool, a surfer looking dude asked me if I was Donald Fagan. He said, Yeah. He said he was a big fan, and I gave my standard reply, which is, Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. Sometimes I'm tempted to affect a southern accent and stutter a little on I, on I appreciate it like Ray Charles, but I never do. Because <laughs> I respect black Bye. musicians. <laughs> <laughs> I would never appropriate Ray Charles' accent in that way. He, he's moving from like in the early part of this book from like semi-self-aware, self-deprecating like commenter on his growing Society. up to just full-on misanthrope. Like all the things that in the same pages of this book I recognized were ridiculous about me and my generation are just full on loathsome of the people my same age then below me. Cause there's, there's basically like a 40 year generation jump before the first half of this book in the second half. Yeah. 
with my bad attitude and all, a day off <laughs> sure. in Vegas is a season in hell. <laughs> <laughs> Once in another lifetime, a gay friend, a, phil- a philosophy professor, convinced me and my then girlfriend to accompany him on a Vegas weekend. He'd never been here, but he obviously saw it as a fabulous Disneyland of camp, which I guess it is. Yeah. We played the slots and he dragged us to a couple shows and Margaret's laser spectacular Caesar's <laughs> Palace left me a bit cold. Ooh. Uh, these are it is just all Yelp reviews at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and Margaret's or honestly uh, 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 one off lines in a Trump speech. And Margaret's laser review. Very bad. <laughs> Little bit cold. <laughs> Left me cold. Let me very cold. Folks, we don't go to Anne Margaret's laser review anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so okay, so talking a bit about being on tour and the people he's on tour with, Walt Weisskopf, sax and flute, and Freddie Washington, bass, play golf. Asking me to play golf would be like asking me to drive over to the town dump and separate all the wrongly placed bottles and cans on the regular garbage. From the re- that's I, how I think of it. That is <laughs> so. Again, is, I'm holed up in my room. That is the emo- look. I think golf is a fucking disaster, and literally any person who who has like has a membership to a golf club should probably be investigated by the FBI. Sure. But that is the most outlandish indictment of having to play golf. Like, even if it sucks and you dislike it as a concept, like, just going and wandering around a golf course is... Golf, I'd rather recycle. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, lately, when I tour with Steely Dan, the venues also seem to be shrinking. Mm. Of course, I'm being disingenuous. Mike, Boz, and I are pretty old now, and so is our audience. Tonight, though, the crowd looks so geriatric, I was tempted to start calling out bingo numbers. Ah. <laughs> Nevertheless, by the end of the set, they were all on their feet, albeit shakily, rocking out to Mike's performance of Buddy Miles' Them Changes. So this now is what I do. <laughs> Assisted living. Dude, you're wow. like 65. What are yeah. you talking about? But also, like, you don't like these people. You don't like the TV babies. Yeah, who, For whom who do you, you want play? at your show? Hot young chicks. Hot young chicks. Baloney girls. Baloney girls. (laughs) (laughs) No TV babies, no geriatrics. Baloney girls only. played the forum. It was full of old people. Not one baloney girl among them. Last night's show in San Jose was the best so far. Oh, wow. Wow. With the crowd really into it and dancing and screaming. For one thing, it was a Saturday night, which for any number of reasons disinhibits the crowd. Also, yes. the crowd was mostly around the right age and not too many TV babies. So what is the right age? 41? Incidentally, by TV babies, I mean people who were born after, say, 1960. Okay. Most people alive. Yes. <laughs> yeah. When television truly became the robotic caretaker of American children and therefore the principal architect of their souls. So he's complaining of the geriatrics, but also complaining of anyone in the crowd younger than 52. I don't know who. I I don't know. So he wants that sweet spot of people who are like 52 to maybe 62. Yeah. Yeah. He He says, I've actually borrowed the term from the film Drugstore Cowboy, in which Matt Dillon, playing a drug addict and dealer, uses it to refer to a younger generation of particularly stupid and vicious dealers who seem to have no souls at all. Mm. I figure he means like there's a bunch, like a bunch of young people there. Sure. Like they're like, possibly. Like you, I don't know. like you would have gone. <sighs> would you, you wouldn't have gotten. No, not at this September. point in time. No, no. I, that's the thing I would do now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Okay, I'm just going to move through a few yeah, bits yeah, yeah. here. You know, he's having trouble sleeping. He hates hotels. Yes. You went to a bad Mexican restaurant. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, 11 a.m., I'm awake. Horrible dreams. I realize I've been sleeping on a white square thing that's an apple piece AC cord as hot as a charcoal briquette. Ah. Oh, I, I have been I, I too have, have slept on a, a hot That is actually one of the cord. most relatable things that he's that's written. That's the most this. millennial thing. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, uh, that feel when yes the the apple charger is too hot, too hot, and in your bed. Yes, exactly. <sighs> yeah, that, no, that's that's college for me, basically. Yeah. Speaking of tea, I guess some Snapple leaked onto my MacBook Pro keyboard. So now I'm some keys are sticky and make disturbing sucking noises. <laughs> he's literally typing the experience of writing the book as he's writing it. Like, and that no, made it, nothing that, was removed. Yes, made it. What flavor the, of Snapple, though? Yeah. You think he's a kiwi strawberry man? Uh, I'm surprised. Peach? Probably diet. Well, lemon. he said it was tea. Okay. Tea. Yeah. So. Oh, the peach iced tea is the yeah. best. Mm. I diet think he's a lemon guy. Maybe. He doesn't really like Canadians. Okay. Okay. What's not to like? Also, uh, they were Canadian, by which I mean to imply they've inherited their culture from Britain. <laughs> As Ooh. is the case in Japan, another island nation where folks are all squeezed together in a small place, Ooh. Brits, by necessity, had to evolve a system of rigorous interpersonal courtesy so they wouldn't tear each other apart. They that's stab some, each other. That's some good race theory, though. Yeah. It's, the power. it's island theory. Yeah, New York theory. City, though. Yeah. Well, Manhattan doesn't necessarily make people nicer. Yeah. Anyway, so about Canadians. Uh, the more civilization, the more repression. So unlike typical American audiences presented with an irresistible groove, Canadians, at least when they're sober, just sit motionless for two hours, fighting every impulse to nod, tap a foot, say hooray, or move any part of their bodies. That is, until the big finish of the show, when as their superegos are no longer able to contain the furious directive of their lower brain, they rise to their feet and at last explode with bestial cries and applause. So they sit in silence for the entire show and then applaud vigorously at the very end. <laughs> what is the last song? Uh, people get up and drive your funky soul. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, they have to be told to doing, get up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Please, guys, people get up. They do what they told you. I, we, I'm sorry we didn't tell you this at the beginning, except we did tell you this at the beginning because that's also the first song. Guys, more pool experiences. <laughs> <laughs> After a swim, I was tricked into ordering lunch by a trio of rather exotic, good-looking pool girls who had been carefully coached, or so it seemed, to be initially seductive and then abruptly aloof. Oh, man. Like the femme fatale characters in a hard-boiled novel. The way it worked was they turn on the heat and then they welcome you to the pool area and then they get you to look at the menu, behaving as if you are James Bond. So oh my they ask God. you to order something, you order it, and then they br bring it to you and leave. And he's like, aha, they have tricked me. I'm sitting here all alone in my <sighs> swim trunks with a BLT and a raging they, 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 boner. They really pressured him. Because he's like, after being asked about sell. the menu several times, I finally gave in and ordered something, though I wasn't particularly hungry. Oh my such God. From an then old <laughs> man. He's such an old man. From and he's a, the, the fact that this whole thing is prefaced by, uh, by the thing about me is that my soul is eternally young. And, he, and he's like, they asked me four times what I wanted to order. And then I ordered something, though later realized I was not really hungry. Yeah. More he's going to complain about TV babies one more time. Great. I'm back at the show. The house has a legion of TV babies. Maybe tourists from Arizona. I don't know. Probably right-wingers, too. 
the victims of an epidemic mental illness that a British study has proven to be the result of having inordinately large amygdala. <laughs> a part of, like bordering on phrenology yes, here. Yes, yeah, uh, it is. <laughs> a part of the primitive brain that causes them to be fearful way past the point of delusion, which explains why their philosophy, their syntax, and their manner of thought don't seem to be reality-based. Yes. That's why when you hear Republicans speak, it's like listening to somebody recount a particularly boring dream. <laughs> <laughs> he is, that is the cranial theory of uh, conservative mindset. Yeah. Uh, he has another miserable night in a Grand Hyatt, can't sleep. So you know what he goes and does? Goes to see Amazing Spider-Man in 3D. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> the Andrew Garfield vehicle? Mm-hmm. We're now uh, three Spider-Man past that. Well, well uh, one sequel. Well, no, there's to one. Okay, I don't see that. Yeah, we have one sequel to Andrew Garfield, and then two new Tom Holland Garfields, plus all the uh, <laughs> yeah. Tom Holland Spider-Mans, plus all the uh, other. Not even counting Avengers movies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Also, and then we're Captain America. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, he does not like the 3D. Um, <laughs> how does he feel about uh, Andrew Garfield's portrayal of? Doesn't he? Doesn't even get to him. <laughs> there is a folded piece of cardboard on my night table here in room 1247 displaying a quote from Aerosmith and a script font that reads, dream on, dream on, dream until your dreams come true. So, uh, and he goes, not exactly Yates or Auden, but as Gore Vidal used to say, shit has its own integrity. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Guys, he hates phones. Oh, Remember? We Remember? Bring it all back home. Yeah, call me old Uncle Fuckwad. I don't care. <laughs> oh, my God. William Blake's dark satanic mills of the Industrial Revolution may have enslaved the bodies of Victorian citizens, but information technology is a pure mind fuck. Mm. The TV babies have morphed into the palm people. Palm people. For example, those people in the audience who can't experience performance unless they're sending instant videos to their friends. Look at me. I must be alive. I can prove it. I'm filming this shit. You know what? I refuse to look at you. You're a corpse. And you prove that every day with everything you do with everything you say, wake up, you dope. Oh, my God. That is, ama- that first. is amazing uh, antiphone invective. That's among the best, like, worded, like, old person antiphone invective that, that I've ever uh, uh, yeah, heard. Now he's gonna, he complains a bit about how doctors don't prescribe enough painkillers. <laughs> Okay. That well, sounds like my father. These days, doctors are terrified if they prescribe painkillers or anything that's actually comforting, they'll go to jail like that idiot who shot up Michael Jackson with propofol. Oh, wow. <laughs> Even the familiar rock docs, local doctors who treat musicians in exchange for permanent backstage privileges, won't prescribe anything useful anymore. <laughs> remember, <laughs> remember when Jeff Tweedy's doctor or therapist was like, I think you should take me on tour. Yes. <laughs> and he was like, Oh, wait, what? (laughs) I couldn't even get a shot of cortisone for my incredibly itchy spider bite. (laughs) Oh, well, if all my flesh isn't eaten away by necrotic bacteria, maybe I'll end up with some of that spidey sense like in the comic books. He's like Debbie Downer. He can't find the positive angle on anything. Yeah. So what's know. the final sentiment of this book? Because I see you're like in the last pages of it. So now. the last thing, I'm glad you mentioned this. So the last thing is he describes something called acute tour disorder. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, as a person who's gone on tour recently, Chris, yes. you might, let's let's see how much of this you can relate to. All right. He, he describes this like it's a medical thing. Okay. So Tell me the symptoms. Show me the symptoms. Mania, panic attacks, inability to focus, paranoia. Anger problems, stage rage. Stage rage. Stage rage. I have not experienced any of these symptoms. I am a good, calm tour boy. Bizarre ideations. 
Mm. Replay of traumatic events. Flashbacks. Okay. That's, that's, that is the definition. Sure. Um, physical restlessness, insomnia, muscle pain and twitching, headaches, diarrhea. Well, yes, sure. of course. Tor butt. Tor butt. Tor gut. <laughs> tor, tor gut is very real. <laughs> Disassociative symptoms, depersonalization, derealization, emotional numbness, severe depression, memory loss, other symptoms, inability to carry out and prioritize tasks, oh, morbid well, yeah. fixations on minor problems. Mm, yeah. What is that? That's basically what he's, he's doing. Um, physical and mental exhaustion, sexual dysfunction. Mm. Ooh, can't, well, can't get it no, up. Not, not, not yet. <laughs> High <laughs> levels of psychic pain and physical discomfort lead to secondary problems such as substance abuse, television trance, compulsive, sometimes deviant sexual behavior. <laughs> well, uh, the television uh, That's when you hire the baloney girls. Yeah, the television <laughs> trance, I, w- I would uh, uh, shift over to Twitter trance and then I would say mm, yes. Mm. This, this kind of keeps going. Uh, the treatment for ATD usually involves a combination of antidepressant medications and short-term psychotherapy. Anyway, he... Yeah, that's that's that. <laughs> and that's how he ends. It's just like it's like anyway, I get severe depression and anxiety from tours. Anyway, goodbye. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. it. it ends on that. Cool book. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh that really that really just takes a tail dive at the end where uh, towards the end of the book where he's he's literally just padding out the the You, you the, sense him losing interest. Yes. The word count. Uh that's maybe one of the most anticlimactic ends to a uh, tour thing in the uh, Yeah, in, usually people get sober, die or uh Nope, that's it. Those are the two endings. So for the for, honestly, the way you describe this book going in, I was like, I'm I'm gonna be ready to think that this guy's a major fuckhead the entire time. And the first half of it, I'm like, honestly, I'm kind of with you, dude. I like you. You get it. You're you're like funny. You have the right diagnosis of the era. You're eventually going to like be a very skilled practitioner of your uh, of your particular industry. And then like when it skips forward, it's just like just a, a total. He's been just, rich a long time. He has been rich. It is, it's just the experience of an air being let out of a balloon, right? Yeah. yeah. All the way down. So, I mean, also... The most delightful thing in there was being was him saying that he even just watched The Amazing Spider-Man because I'm like, ah, I've heard of that thing. Yes. Oh, God. I mean, this is this for a bit of perspective. Also, Steely Dan, though their music sounds like it's made for people who are at least 35 and up, it was all... They, they finished making that original body of work by the time they were 31 or 32. They were 31 or 32? Yeah. So, like, when he's like, oh, I'm in that torpor, that's his in, almost his entire 30s into <sighs> his 40s. Wow. Wow. So, like he, like, he and Walter, while they do some projects, are essentially retired between the ages of, like, 32 into their 50s. Oh, wow. That's not good. That's very strange. I'm entering the prime of my life, like, professionally at, at 32. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would not like to be winding down right now. Yeah. But you also didn't make Asia when you were 27. That's true. And you I could have if I had if I had the opportunity. Look, if I if I had had the opportunity in the studio time and the and, and the, the the high level jazz chops. Yeah, the high level jazz chops and like I don't know endless resources and endless resources of of fat with cash seventies studios. Yeah, so much cocaine. Yes, could honestly, if I could just get two of the three of those, the cocaine and the studio resources. Who knows? Yeah, it's true. Uh, anyway, how do we feel about Donald Fagan now? He. Is definitely something. Yes. Is he the most miserable person that's been on the show? Have we know, done any by proxy? Crankier? Again, that the- Glenn Johns was kind of, he was Kurt, the, the British producer. Kurt, but not that cranky. Not so misanthropic. Again, the first half of this memoir has tonal similarities, or this book has tonal similarities with a lot of stuff that we've done that is yeah. actually like cranky, but 
agreeable. Yeah. And, and then places yourself like, in a in a wider picture. Yeah. This is. And then he just give, just gives just gives fucking up. Find something you like, dude. Come on. Yeah. He lists a lot of things he likes. He likes old jazz. He likes uh, hot chicks who are kind of damaged. Yeah. Who does? Uh, baloney. Uh, he likes science fiction. Yes. Playing music with highly competent people. In rooms with good sound. He likes a good hotel. Okay, okay. He likes a good pool. Okay, how about this? You can probably arrange a situation for yourself where you have a small group of highly competent people. Like get a residency. Like find a place where you like playing that's going to be down with you just playing there over and over. Can play so all but specs. one of the Steely Dan shows I've seen were all at, they, they do a residency at the Beacon Theater. Great. So like they'll do like seven or eight shows. I think this year it's only five or six. Yes. But, um, the hometown shows are a drag. All your doctors show up. Yeah. But they won't you, even but, give but you if, any of the good meds. But if you do like seven or eight of them, you know, you spread those people out. Yeah. So they took my advice. Retroactively. Retroactively. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Just you don't have to travel. You get to sit, play with the same people. Just do the same thing at the same place. They probably put you up in a good hotel. But you know what? They started doing that before this tour. They started doing that probably around 07, 08. So he still knows that this is a thing that he can do. He's done it, but it's just still like oh, he just needs to vegan theater again. All right, maybe he's a series of residencies instead of a full tour. I don't maybe know. he's just got not a lot tour. Maybe just stay home. Yeah, find it. Find some fucking zen in your life. They tour so much now; it's crazy. There are other good movies by good directors who understand the milieu of the early '60s. You can go find them. I would recommend that Donald Fagan embrace the impermanence and ephemerality of a platform like Snapchat or Instagram stories. Mm. The, the, uh, and maybe he can reckon because when he's afraid, when he's afraid of TV babies, he's afraid of death. Yes. You know. I saw Silly uh, Dan uh, this past fall when they played Beacon Theater, and I went with our friend Sean. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that kind of blew my mind, especially having the seen, original I, 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 this, TV I, criticism, also previously and introducing guest Shanti Collins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had seen a bunch of Steely Dan shows at this point. To the so I noticed, like, why is he in a good mood? Okay. Why is Donald Fagan in a good mood? I still don't know why. I don't know what happened that to him that day, but it was just almost weird for him to be like in a upbeat, joyful mood. Yeah. Enjoy. It happens. It's thing. like it happens. I just thought he was only had the one gear. Well, I mean, I guess I wish him the best. He's he he he's getting on in years. Uh, he'll probably keep doing those Steely Dan residencies of, when, in different formulations. Now that uh, Walter is, yeah, been. I mean, they do it out in a uh, Vegas, which yeah, sure, which right. you know he loves. Season yes. in hell, a season in hell. He likes money. Yeah, he does. Well, who doesn't? Who doesn't? Loves money, hates rich people. Uh, I think money, honestly, women is is he so different than you or I? Yeah, that's yeah. true. Uh, all right, with that. Is he so different from you and I? Let's move confidently into the end of this episode. Matthew, thank you for sharing the story of Donald Fagan's yes. uh, cranky. There's a curmudgeon, you know. Kind of delightfully cranky early years and uh, dispiritingly cranky uh, later years. You know, going back through this, I realized like the thing I really want to hear more about, and this is something I unfathomable, really. It's like, I want to hear more about his love life. <laughs> sure, yeah. Because yeah. that really was the most interesting thing. As Molly said, constantly yada yada over with the uh, these memoirs. These wives and girlfriends. These wives yeah. and girlfriends. These, these girlfriends who become wives, who become ex-wives. Who very give quickly. birth to daughters who turn into mothers and, and fathers be good to your daughters. Yes. Over the course of like two or three sentences in a memoir. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but let's do the end the part thing. of the episode. Matthew, thank you for coming on the show. Is there anything that you would like to plug? Well, I have my website. It's called Flux Blog. Flux Blog. 
Com. The first dot dot org. Dot org. God damn it. Flexblog. It's dot the first org. blog. They didn't have comms back then. Yes. The commercial. Commercial. It was from the era before the commercial web. Dot communist. Dot communist. Yeah. Uh, but this is dot organization. Flexblog. Dot org. Dot org. site for uh, oh, near daily it's updates. It's actually dot orgasm. Dot orgasm. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> the site for near daily updates of uh, writing about uh, individual songs, uh, curation of playlists, all yeah. sorts of stuff. Yeah. If you want to hear things. Yes, if you want to hear things, they're there in MP3 form. I don't think I've ever written about Steely Dan. Really? Yeah. I've tried, but I don't know. Oh, wait, no, I have. I wrote about the song uh, Black Cow. Go look up the review of Black Cow. Maybe I'll link it in the show description. Maybe. Anyway, I've got a bunch of stuff uh, coming out in August, but uh, I can't even remember uh, or think about or conceive of listing it here. Molly, is there anything that you would like to plug? I mean, follow me on Instagram at the Molly Zone. At the Molly Zone? Yeah, at the Molly yeah. Zone. Molly's got a really good uh, newsletter. I do have a newsletter, which you can find somewhat circuitously. Maybe you throw that in the show notes too. <laughs> of what? Yeah. What? What's the newsletter link? It's it's just uh it's just stuff. It's like thoughts I have. Yeah, like but about, what's the link? Oh, the link? I don't know. Tinyletter.com slash blue 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 blue. Uh, <laughs> I'll put it I'll put our, it in the link. I'm glad that even our guests have to come on the show and plug stuff for you. Yeah. You know, another thing about Molly, she's really underrated on Twitter. She is underrated. I'm still on under I you know what I thought I was rated for a second once I crossed that uh that sweet stack. A uh, thousand followers, um, but now I'm hovering around twelve hundred, and I think I'm actually underrated because oh. I think I should have like ten thousand. Yes, so, let's get you up there. Wait, Molly, you have any uh, music videos? Nothing new. But like this is in the recent past, like when I, what are some recent music videos? Well, I've made a couple of music videos for the Brooklyn punk band Shy Baby, which you should look up on YouTube. So definitely gonna check that out. Yes. Shy Baby, Shy Baby. good videos, music videos, you. YouTube. D, all kinds Molly O'Brien. Molly's kind of like the new Spike Jones. Yes. And eventually she's going to oh, be making like no. feature movies. Yeah. And, and right now it's music videos. I'm yeah. going to be luring Karen O away to, to Los Angeles, <laughs> devastating the entire scene. That's what I do. That's what he did, right? Anyway, yeah, go on. I mean, they were together. Yeah. Anyway. Follow, <laughs> follow us on Twitter at andintropod. Send us an email at andintroducingpod at gmail.com. I haven't checked that email in a little bit. We'll check those Ooh, for the yeah. next ep. Uh, mm-hmm. coming up soon and our SoundCloud is as always at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod and remember to subscribe to us on iTunes and while you're there please rate review and subscribe while you're there to subscribe uh, and if you have your own personal baloney girl stories send them an email tell yeah, them about it yeah uh, or if that's just something you like r- write a, write feel free a to review share. That's a, that says I'm a baloney girl <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wait, that's what we're calling your fans now. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, all the baloney girls that's out there. That's our fan army is baloney, yeah, baloney girls. girls. Uh, oh, God. I can't believe that it took this long to, to so uh, um, make a name for our fans, but this is the first one that we've ever come up with, so it's probably going to be the one. Until next time, we'll see you in another two weeks with another story of music, performers, history. Whatever else we feel like covering here and, on and and me, I'll be back in forty four episodes. Forty four, yeah. We'll, we'll Start see you the in a couple. Reset the clock <laughs> here on and introducing. <laughs> <laughs>